it's time for another episode of Healthcare Technology. It's Tech Talk. It's Tech Talk. It's Friday again, Jay. It seems like we only talk on Friday, buddy. I, I don't know. I don't know what causes that, but uh, we talk a lot more than that, though, Brad. I mean, we, we talk do. a lot. No, but it just seems like yesterday or the day before was Friday. Does it not that way to you? It also? does. It does, man. It seems like it's that way every single week. And what's even worse is when I go back and I listen to the other sessions that we have, it's yeah. Friday then too. So it's like Friday, Friday. every day. Well, sure. We, we release <laughs> every Friday morning, you know, and uh, so let, let's pull a quick plug here. If you are not uh, signed up for TikTok uh, podcast, go to our Facebook comment. Uh, like it, follow it, post it on your website, your social media. We greatly appreciate that. Yeah. Give us feedback too. Yeah. Great. If you feedback. think we suck, tell us that we suck. Yeah, we do. We'll, we'll learn from that. Won't we? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, today, another one of your friends, yep. um, I've been reading about him today. He's, he seems like he's had an amazing background, good history, great history. And uh, so why don't you introduce him and welcome, welcome him to the show. Yeah, this is my really good friend, Tian Wong. Tian, what's going on, brother? Hey, it's great to see you guys. And thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm so cool Tian, Tian, is, Tian is known as a tech titan here in D.C. He's been awarded that uh, by some very reputable organizations, and he is a rock star in the world of technology. But equally, he is an awesome human being, and I am so happy that you're spending some time with us today, my friend. It's always good to see you because I literally have not seen you since we went out to dinner at your at your restaurant that, we, that you recommended in Chevy Chase. That was literally the last time we hung out. Well, when you're ready, let's go over and get some Peking duck. You know, let's do it. I'm Love ready. It, man. It's been way too long. It has been. It has been. Well, it's great to see you. And I, I kind of want to start out today, Tian, just by asking you about your entrepreneurial journey, because it's been incredible what you've been able to do with your career and the impact that you've had. So just just walk us through your journey, man. Tell us tell us how you've gotten to this point in life. Yeah, I mean, I my journey starts with my family. My parents and their parents were all entrepreneurs. My parents were born outside the country. My dad's from China. My mom is Chinese Malaysian. And uh, they came here to go to college. They stayed here and then they had uh, five kids and I'm the eldest of five. And I grew up in the family business at the age of 10, working in a Chinese restaurant. Wow. Learning all about hard work, customer service. My dad had me working on every Friday and Saturday night. He paid me well in cash, but I found out later why he did it. He didn't want me going out partying with my friends. <laughs> and that was this ulterior. Of course, I was clueless. I was like, hey man, I want the money, you know? So right. I would work till 1 a.m. Friday night and Saturday night uh, in the restaurant. And um, now I get why he did it. It was actually quite smart on his part. But, um, uh, you know, so basically I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. I didn't know anything but having my own business, being sort of the master of my own destiny. Even in college, I knew I was going to have my own business. I didn't know what, you know, but I did do a startup after I graduated. I had three businesses in college. I did a startup after college. It didn't go so well. I got a full-time job in commercial real estate in Washington, and that lasted a few years. And then I got another real estate job, and then I quit to start a business with two other guys. And um, the rest is history. That, that business was in the fall of 1991. It was uh, basically a call center business. Um, 
initially we started the business to make phone calls because we were all in sales and we hated making sales calls. You know, there were no computers at the time. It was all pick up the phone, use the yellow pages, get through the secretary or the screen and try to get a meeting. We hated doing that. So we said, if we hate doing it, there's gotta be a lot of other people that hate doing it. So we said, let's set up a business to do cold calling for people. And the first customer we cold called was, one of the first was Pepco, which is a local utility company here in DC. They're like, we don't need anyone to make phone calls. We need people to answer phones. <laughs> we do that too. <laughs> so that was it. Then we got a contract with Pepco for 10 employees. And, wow. And the business grew to 80 million over 12 years. And we got private equity funded. We did three rounds of private equity. We sold the business to a public company. And then I became a full-time investor. And along the way, you know, mentored a lot of students at Maryland for eight years. And I've been at Georgetown now for nine. And um, uh, do some investing. I have a... a a fund that invests in fintech, health tech, and, prop, and uh, marketing technology companies. Uh, bought a couple of companies. You're familiar with one that, that does IT services, and I yeah. have another one that um, that does ed tech, and they're based in Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, so that's basically the the journey. You know, along the way, I've uh, met a lot of great people like yourself, and trying to pay it forward and give back, and uh, you know, having a pretty good time doing it. <laughs> Yes, you do. Hey, Tian, I, I, you know, there's a couple of things that you said that really stand out to me. You know, everybody, um, you know, loves to hear about successes, but I actually love to hear about the failures. You know, I, I want to hear what you learned in that first startup after college that was a lesson that stayed with you so that you could get to that point of being uber successful. Well, we, we raised $100,000 to, um, to start a, start a company which failed. And the reason the company failed was because we spent too much time worrying about the quality of the product and not enough time working, worrying about sales and distribution. So wow. my lesson, and it was an expensive lesson at the time, but inexpensive later because of how much we were able to learn from this. The key lesson there is focus on sales and focus on your customer. And if you focus on sales and distribution, you could have a not so great product, but you can still be successful. That's great. Yeah, we were too focused on quality of product. It was, it was it was smart, but really dumb in the grand scheme of things. Because as a startup, you're small. It's only three people, and I think there were four of us. I mean, so you really not a lot of resources, not a lot of money to to build a business. So you really have to go out and um, and get traction. Traction is the most important thing for an early stage company. Sure, and when you have customers, you can get feedback, right? And then you can use that feedback to iterate the product versus trying to make it perfect before going to market. Exactly right. Yep. Yeah. How, how much of your focus on the customer did you learn growing up in the restaurant business? Uh, everything, I, everything I know <laughs> is from working in the restaurant, um, which is the customer is always the king, no matter what. Um, in, a, in a restaurant business, that's like the ultimate service business. So many things can go wrong. Um, you know, we've seen all kinds of scenarios in the, in the Chinese restaurant. You can imagine over years of my dad owning it. And um, one thing's for sure, the customer's always right. And I know some people say, no, your employees over your customers, but it's a tough decision. But I think for me, you know, I was taught that the customer's always right. So we always gave everything to the customer. We give it away. And I did it with my call center business too. We gave away free reports. We did, we would fly to Oregon to meet with the customer, fly to Vegas to meet with the customer on our dime. If we were Accenture, we would have billed the customer for that time, but we didn't do that. And you've seen what we do with, what, what Lord did with your company. We oh, 100%. the extra mile. We, you know, because we play the long game 
you know, we like the short stuff. Yeah, you can win the battle, but you lose the war. I mean, we want to win the war. So we play the long, long game. And we know that it takes two to tango. You got to be a true partner with your customers. The best customers know you have to make a profit. So they don't try to squeeze you. And um, if you give the customer a lot more than they expect, then in the long run, things will take care of it take care of themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had that experience with you, with Lore. I mean, you guys were great. You sold the company, so, you know, we, we weren't working together anymore, but but my experience with you was was fantastic. You just treated us phenomenally, and you were always there for us whenever we needed something, and even if it was our fault, or even if I was delayed on paying the bill because cash was tight, you you just you were gracious about it and you always were you always were there to make sure that we were taken care of and i i greatly appreciated that and i will i will never forget yeah. how we were treated um as a customer you, you you really set the bar extremely high for customer service so i definitely ex appreciated that experience well, in the it world you know our our, our, our tagline was crazy right like my mentor who was at the time she was at accenture she she was laughing at me because she's accenture you know right she, She's like, uh, our tagline was easier, friend, easier, friendlier, more reliable. And we're a tech company. Yeah. She's like, there's no way. And she's like, this is idiotic. You're a tech company. You can't be easier. But I said, I don't care. I don't care if I lose money, you know, or if I don't make as much money doing this. That's what I want to do. I want to be easier to deal with, friendlier and more reliable. And, um, and customers will come. You know, that was our attitude. You know, most tech companies are difficult to deal with not friendly and not reliable. So yeah, um, I can, I can speak for Brad in that regard. Like he, he's terrible. He's very unfriendly, very mean. When I get <laughs> I on the phone with him, <laughs> he like, he, he curses at me every time I pick up the phone. No, I'm kidding. Um, he, he is also the same way Tian. You guys are like kindred spirits because he literally bends over backwards and he's not that flexible because he's old. He literally bends over backwards to make sure that not only his customers are well taken care of, but he thinks more globally about the profession at large, certainly the profession of chiropractic, and he's in the medical industry as well, to make sure that his work has significant positive impact. And it's honestly, it's rare to find CEOs, like you said, especially in the tech space, that do the things that you guys do. You know, I, I get say, Oh, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. I get dinged sometimes. What are you as the CEO doing in the exhibit hall of a conference? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people ask, why are you not back at home and letting somebody else do that? I got to be honest, being in that exhibit hall, talking to those hundreds of doctors at a time, yep. I, I find out what my product needs or yep. <clears throat> where its weaknesses are. And, and I've told Jay many a time, when I have a problem, especially the claims clearinghouse, my phone lights up far quicker than our technology does because I have so many friends out there. They start calling and saying, hey, dude, this isn't working or something's not on today or what is happening. And it is some of the best support that I have. Uh, but I, I do. I, I treat everybody like my friend. Uh, and I've I've gained many, many friends over the years by being in that exhibit hall, by being part of the crowd and not thinking that I'm so high up or, or, or I'm too uppity to, to talk to the individual clients that are down in the ditches. You know, you guys are, you guys are so right. I mean, you look at the great fortunes that have been made in this country, in the world, and they're all focused on the customer. Amazon, look at Amazon. Every meeting at Amazon, there's a conference room. There's an empty chair at every meeting. You know what the empty chair signifies? That's the customer. Oh, that's they, cool. They have an intentionally have an empty chair. You look at 
Sam Walton has spoken out in Walmart. Uh, Gates, Bill Gates at Microsoft. They all know the power of a of a of feedback from a customer and taking care of the customer. And um, at the end of the day, that is the sort of tried and true thing, right? And you guys are, I said the restaurant business is the ultimate service business. I'm wrong. Your chiropractic is the ultimate service business because <laughs> you're making people's lives a lot better. I can serve a good Chinese meal, you know, that's fine. That makes people happy for a day or two. But you guys are like with me, with my shoulder, you know, you basically allowed me to, what you guys did, and I could go back and play tennis again, you know, which I couldn't do for many years. You're changing lives with that. And therefore you have to have a great bedside manner. You have to be focused on, um, you know, on taking care of your customer. I, I mean, listen, when I went to your company, Jay, went to your, to your doctors, I didn't expect you to be there, but you showed up too. I mean, you're there working on me. Like you don't have to do this. You have eight or nine operations. You have hundreds of, you know, you don't need this headache, right? But well, it was, but I, you have the same attitude that Brad just said. You like to get your hands dirty. You want to talk to your customers. Wolfgang Puck is talking to every customer in his restaurant. Yeah. He doesn't need to do that. He's, you know, very actually, famous guy, but he's talking to all his customers. And you're so right, because I actually met him. I was at Shimano in Maine. Yeah, in Santa Monica, and I was hanging out with some very good I, try, I tried friends. to buy Lauren Bacall a drink, and she turned me down at Chinois <laughs> on Main in Santa Monica. That's hilarious. Hey, I, mean, I walk into this restaurant with Lauren Bacall and some other old lady, and I sit down, <laughs> I go to the waiter, I buy them a drink, and, she's, and she, she, she told the guy politely no. That's hilarious, bro. But no, but Wolfgang Puck was there, and he was talking to everybody. Yeah, he came yeah, out and spoke to, to Spago, us. When I went to Spago, he's in the he's in the dining room talking to every table. I yeah, mean, it's so cool. Yeah. So cool. So it's the same thing like what Brad just said, you know, it's you got to get your hands dirty. Yeah. You know, 100%. I give out my I give out my personal cell phone all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't publicly announce it, but I give it to all my my clients, people that think and must go, oh, come on, this is not really your private. It is my private cell number, and you can call me, and I'm going to answer up until about midnight uh, and just say, how can I help you? You know, because so before I think cell phone, I gave out my home number to all my customers, home yeah. number. I don't and have a no, home I number. Never got, I never got a phone call at home. They oh, were yeah. just so shocked that I would do that, but no one would ever violate that privacy. But it's the attitude. Like, hey, totally. you got a problem calling your home. This is before cell phones, you know? Yeah, I um, told my doctors all the time, like, you know, I gave, when I was treating patients all the time, I would give out my cell phone, phone number and I would, I, like literally a handful of times people might call me, but they really needed me. They never took advantage of it. And, but the empathy and the love that you show that person by being willing to be open to giving out your cell phone, is a huge trust building step, right? And when you have that trust, um, you have you have patients and customers for life, for life. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, guys, we're gonna talk a little more. Let's take a quick break. We're into this uh, and come back into the second segment and talk a little bit more. I've got more questions about customer service for you. Oh, sure, absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Infinity. In the modern age of electronic data interchange, Infinity is committed to helping clinicians get paid fast so that they can spend less time tracking claims and more times with their patients. 
As a pro advocate for the healthcare industry, we create tools that make sense for electronic claims processing and business analytics. You couple that with superior support team, we strive to ensure your business is performing at its best. Infinity, committed to the future of claim processing. Listen to the future of healthcare with the data jocks of talk. It's Tech Talk. And we're back. It's Tech Talk. We have a great guest tonight that is been talking all kinds of customer service support. One of the things that I'm very interested in because in two of my business, we we have call centers where we're taking calls. We have them in-house. We have not done those out to third party because I want to have pretty strict control over uh, the people that are answering my phones, to be quite honest. What what was it that drew you to uh, customer service like that, for, to a call center? Well, we knew that that was a pain point with some of the forward-leaning companies of the day. When I started a business in the early 90s, customer service wasn't really a thing. It wasn't a competitive advantage, but it was a competitive advantage for certain companies. And some of these clients that we had are pretty marquee names, like Nestle and uh, Nextel at the time. Uh, Microsoft. So the forward thinking companies that viewed they're in a commodity business like cellular service or software. Uh, Microsoft, we work for the Internet Explorer Group. So we work for the MSN network. Um, So they were competing with uh, AOL and others. So it wasn't Microsoft the monopoly. It was Microsoft the Internet service. So in order to compete, the smart leaders realize they have to use competitive. You have to use a customer care, customer service um customer satisfaction as a weapon to win in the services business that's a foregone conclusion if i don't serve you excellent food you're not coming back if you don't treat my arm right chiropractic i'm not coming back um but in a product company like you know product like uh, microsoft um their internet service or nestle we serve their water bottle group uh with merck we serve the medco group Uh, You know, you you basically have a product that they have to compete on service. The ones that didn't compete on service will wind up losing market share or going out of business. Yeah, we we hear that. Matter of fact, we've got a competitor now that something has changed. You know, we'll all of a sudden stir, you know, 50, 100 phone calls to us. And and I I believe customer service is really that true foundation to growth. That's the number one thing people keep coming back to is, you're there, you answer it. The people that are answering the questions for us have intelligence, they, they've done this. We require every one of our support agents to have three years minimum in a doctor's mm-hmm. office billing. And it makes all the difference in the world of how you come off when you've uh, got that person on, on call. You know, one of the things we're exploring is doing uh, video support. What do you think about that? Have you done any of that where you're actually doing instead of just audio? You're actually presenting a face and 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 doing this chat to answer questions like that. Have you ever done? Yeah, that? I, I, I want to answer that question, but I do want to build on your last comment, which is sure. I'll use an example in the late '90s was Dell Computer. Dell Computer thought they were being really smart by moving 5,000 jobs to India to do customer service, yeah. and they were going to save you know a couple billion dollars um, in cost, or maybe it was several hundred million in costs, and all of a sudden the service was dropped. It got worse and Dell and it hit the newspapers, the wall street journal and, and all these other groups are talking about Dell losing customers. The Dell, the Dell stock dropped billions of dollars. So they made a 
several hundred million dollar decision that cost them multiple billions of dollars. And what did Michael Dell do? He immediately <laughs> moved everybody back to the US. <laughs> so that's an example of, of you know, do, being very important, especially when you're doing commodity sales of products, you know, you have to provide very, very good service. And to your question about video, absolutely. I think video is the way of the future. We have the bandwidth to do it now. And the expectation level of the millennials and the generation Z consumers is going to be this is a tech savvy group. So maybe the baby boomers like us, maybe we don't need video, but our kids and our grandkids certainly will be looking for other touch points that um, if you have that advantage, uh, if you have that capability, you will have a big advantage in the marketplace. It's yeah, all right. just, it all starts with the customer. There's the power right. to fire you as Sam Walton would say, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right. We just feel like that <laughs> when you see the facial expressions, when you, you know, even in, in Zoom that we've learned over this last year, we were talking about that with my team today, just being able to see the facial expressions when I ask questions, I could tell whether they're really for it or against it, you know, audio-wise, it sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, I could tell, no, they didn't agree with that. We're talking about bringing members back into the office. And I just think what we've also are going to do in the new model is you can go online, enter your trouble ticket, and then right there, you can schedule, hey, call me on this day at this time, and our software will select the open call person, automatically start that, dial that number, bring the records up in front of them, and uh, do the visual thing. And uh, we believe- I think in, your in the medical and health field, the ability to do telemedicine and teletriage is going to be priceless. It's going to yeah. drop the costs. We talked about lowering costs, right? Your, the goal of your podcast is to 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 make improve service while lowering costs in the healthcare industry. And I think tools like Zoom and um, telemedicine is going to be priceless. Of course, there is no substitute for going and getting um, your arm looked at by a true professional or having the electromagnetic stuff that you guys were doing with me, <laughs> the cryo, this and that. And, you know, there's no substitute for that. But, you know, look, I mean, you could have your doctor show me the exercise, right? And I could buy the stuff or lease it from you and I could do it and it would save me trouble, save them trouble. And, you know, you could probably charge the same amount of money, which I'm willing to pay anyway, because I'm getting the service. And it just, uh, it just makes the experience a lot better. I mean, nobody... I mean, health, there's no secret the healthcare industry is lacking for a, a high quality experience. I mean, right? Whether it's no a, question about it. Whether it's a doctor's office, a dentist's office, or I saw my doctor the other day, there were six people in the waiting room. And, you know. So it's so interesting that you say that because, <laughs> like, when you look at some of the large consulting companies, because I've been studying this really since COVID hit, McKinsey, Deloitte, Perficient, all these companies are saying essentially the same thing. People want a safe environment if they're going to go somewhere. They they prefer experiences over things, and those experiences really translate to convenience. And they want to see a greater adoption of digital platforms, period. So what Brad is talking about is, I think it's a great idea, Brad, like the ability for you to see your customer, customer support person, I think is, is, is just raising the bar as it relates to customer service. Um, so I, I love that. And, and Tien, Deloitte came out with this with this study that that showed that 80% of consumers in the next 12 months are going to do a telehealth visit. So it's not even something that's in the future. Like this is the present that we live in. 
Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm super curious to know, Tian, because I want to get to Connectpreneur, which is your phenomenal entrepreneurial event. Maybe we'll get to that in the third segment. But I, I want to know, because you, you are a visionary, and I want to know what you think, specifically as it relates to health tech. What do you think the future holds, let's say, in the next five years? What's going to happen in the health tech space that's really going to move the needle, that's going to change the world for the better? I think the scalability of personalization of medicine and healthcare delivery is going to be revolutionary using a combination of big data, artificial intelligence, and uh, being able to collect information on people. So instead of treating somebody uh, in one way, you will now have data on, you know, um, for example, in Cairo, maybe you will know what my genetic makeup is or what my diet is, and you'll be able to customize a program for me based on data collected from hundreds of thousands or millions of patients, right? Yeah. And the same thing goes if you're gonna prescribe, someone's gonna prescribe medicine, right? Different dosages, different combinations of cocktail, right? There'll be um, the ability to use DNA analysis and other sort of um, information to personalize. Because, you know, the dosage that the doctor prescribes for you shouldn't doesn't necessarily be the same dosage that I take. Take two right. of the, you know, 20 milligram tablets and, you know, no, I mean, it's, it depends on a lot of factors, genetics, age, race, uh, God knows what, lifestyle. So I think you're, we're going to see revolutionary and, that, and that'll wind up being um, enhanced quality of life and people will live longer. Yep. Um, you know, I think I've read uh, Pierre Diamandis, who I'm a big fan of. Oh yeah, singularity. Um, yeah, singularity, right. I mean, so like living to 100 is no longer going to be like a big deal. It's now it's going to be, can you live to 150, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you've been you talking know, to Steve I Young. Mean, we're laughing you? now, but you know we've made so much progress in the last twenty years. Like our our parents and our grandparents would be laughing if you said a hundred is going to be like in reach, right? When they yeah. were growing up. So, you know, I, we're making tremendous. You know, um, and I think you know what you guys do is super important, right? Because I think the key to living a long and productive life is to be healthy and maintain a healthy, active lifestyle. And you are facilitating people having that healthy lifestyle. So all of the information, kinesiology, biomechanics, all the stuff that you guys do, all that data is being collected and the science is just gonna get, the body of knowledge, you know, is expands geometrically. So yep. you'll have, you and your doctors will have all kinds of tools at your disposal to deliver the best care to patients like me, you know? So I think the future is incredibly bright. Yeah, and it's, it's damn exciting. I mean, to have you guys are, are are amazingly visionary. You know, you're, you're, you know, maybe in general the Cairo industry is like the commercial real estate industry. Brad, it moves a little bit slowly. They don't adopt technology as quickly. But you guys are sort of the leaders in the industry, so you can actually drive that. Um, you know, you can drive change in your space. Yeah, sure. I think I think it's incredibly validating because. As you know, you know we've we've got our technology startup, and we're creating that digital journey that allows over will allow over time this personalized journey where we're aggregating, collecting personal data from the patient, use that data, incorporate analytics, AI, ML, and be able to then drive better decision making. Where it's not even just predictive analytics, but it becomes prescriptive. And you know right. we've got that on the personalized you know patient side. Brad has it in aggregate as it relates to the 
healthcare system and the ability for us to kind of have that interoperability um, can really move the needle at scale uh, in a tremendous way. So, you know, obviously, Brad and I really agree with what you're saying because it's what we're living right now. Like, this yeah. is what we're, this is our journey to create digital tools to be able to do that for the populations that we serve. Yeah. And a couple of things, a couple of things in, from my perspective that fit in here is, hey, I think we're getting back a little bit to the beginning of healthcare. Back when I was a child, when the doctor used to come to your house, it was that personalized. And because of not capitalization, but if you listen to, we have a, we had a guest on last week, uh, Katie Talento, that was uh, Trump's national policy uh, director, advisor. And she talked about how healthcare has become so bloated with all the middlemen in the middle of this. It, it, you've separated the patient and the doctor much further away than they used to be. And I believe the consumerization of healthcare now, the patients want their information, whereas there have been so many people in the middle, they don't even know what that information is anymore. And, and that's really, in my eyes, what we're trying to do is bring it back to this personal level of healthcare, consumerize that to let the patient have the information almost as quick as the doctor does in an intelligent, understandable way, not just their electronic healthcare records charge, but an actual description of what is going on with you in your life. Here's the problems that we can see from big data that's happening. Here are the other 150,000 people that have exactly the same kind of conditions that you have, including maybe your genetics, and here's how we can alter your life to have, let you have a better life. So for me, it's part of bringing it back to the beginning where doctors and patients really knew each other and had a relationship together, shared their home phone numbers, and, and were together. And, and today we've separated that for some crazy reason. It's got a lot to do with money. It's got a lot to do with trying to bring pharmaceuticals into it that probably shouldn't be there. But I, don't you agree, uh, uh, Pian, that that consumerization of healthcare patients want that information today? Yeah, I think technology has accelerated the knowledge. So the, you know, you have now have Google, you have other sources where you can get information. Hopefully most of it's accurate, but there is some garbage out there. But, but the fact is that there's just more information, whereas you know, when we were growing up, all the information was um, closely held. You know, you'd have to look at PDR or you'd have to talk, talk to your doctor or your nurse or whatever. Now you can actually, there's a huge body of information that you still need a physician, you still need a chiropractor, you still need a truly trained health professional who can be your concierge and guide you through various decision-making. Um, so yes, I totally agree that when you have not a lot, a lot knowledge out there people can then advocate for themselves and they can make better decisions for themselves and best of all they'll have more peace of mind you know whether they make the right or wrong decision they feel like they have some control over their decision and they can at least have some peace of mind you know yeah, that that's so important because patients have throughout the years that i've been in healthcare patients have been disempowered but i think now with the uh, with the advent of big data with the advent of more information with the advent of mobile devices that can yeah. really help guide patients digitally on their healthcare journey. Um, wearables, all of this yeah. provides information that can empower the patient to take better control of their healthcare and therefore better control of their life. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, what happens for uh, the doctors, you know, the chiropractors, is that they now become uh, high-end, trusted advisors and consultants, and it's a holistic yep. thing. It's not just about my arm. It's about my diet, my sleep, my meditation, my mental health. It's a holistic approach to uh, living better and living longer, and, you know, I think that um, you guys have, are, you know, are helping to create the technology tools that will enable this, so, you know, basically you will have a hand in um, the convergence of all this technology and the convergence of all these different aspects of someone's health. It's no longer just, I go to you for a sure shoulder. Now you're going to help me live a better life. Yeah. You know? yeah. You're going to help me, you know, with all things like that. So that that's what is really exciting. So, okay. So we have to take a break right now. We're going, going to commercial baby. Somebody has <laughs> got to pay the bill. Um, but we're going to commercial. When we come back, we're going to talk about Connectpreneur, your phenomenal monthly event. The Canvas app, the app that can take your practice to the next level by providing a customized, direct connection between your practice and patients. Through the new built-in rewards program, Canvas can grow new and existing patient numbers and increase your patient's adherence to care plan. What does your custom dream app look like? Elevate your practice with Kaizenovate. Come on! And the data doc of talk is Tech Talk. Tech Talk. All right, everybody, we are back with Tech Talk. My good friend, Mr. Brad Koss, my other good friend, Mr. Tian Wong. So great to have this conversation with a couple of tech titans. So Tian, um, I, I, I couldn't wait to get to this part because this is just the coolest thing. So you're not only are you considered one of the most successful tech entrepreneurs, but you also give back and you give back by by bringing a group of people together, as you call it, a mashup of startups, investors, mature companies, advisors, consultants. You bring all these people together in your event, Connectpreneur, where you can help people literally connect that can drive and evolve change. So tell us about the event, tell us how it started, tell us about where it is now, and then I wanna hear some crazy ass stories about some of these companies that are presenting at your event. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, thank you for the plug. Uh, you can go to connectpreneur.org and there's information. But 10 years ago, you know, the Washington, D.C. area didn't have many venues for people like myself who are sort of entrepreneurs and we want to be with each other. And I'm also an investor. I'm looking for good deals and I co want to find co-investors. So, you know, we decided to put together a small group of investors and CEOs to meet up every quarter in Northern Virginia. So, we started with a small group at the Tower Club. I think you were at one of the first couple. You know, we've uh -huh. done like almost 60 of them now, and it's been we're in our 10th year. But we started doing quarterly meetings in Virginia, and then we started doing quarterly meetings in Virginia and Maryland, and then it became two me uh, six meetings a year, and then we went up to Baltimore and Columbia, Maryland, D.C., and then with the pandemic, um, and we started small, 140 people, 200, 250. We outgrew the Tower Club in Tyson's Corner. We went to the Tyson's Corner Marriott. We outgrew that hotel, had to go to another hotel. And it just kind of organically happened. We weren't trying to make money. We were just wanted to, to provide a service for the community, which would be a resource, a place where entrepreneurs could find resources, a place where investors could find deal flow, 
And um, yeah, mashup is a good idea. You know, it's sort of like you're, you're, you know, you talk to an expert Michelin chef, you know, ask them what's on the menu. Well, they don't have a menu. They go to the market in the morning and they find whatever ingredients and then they cook it in the restaurant <laughs> that night. So it's the same thing. We put great ingredients together, great people, positive, innovative, optimistic entrepreneurs and investors and great things will happen. And we've seen a lot of great things happen. It's been pretty exciting. And anyway, the thing has grown on its own. We have it. We have our own social media handles now, and uh, we have a staff that works on the events. And with COVID or post-pandemic, we um, we do these monthly now. We are now the world's largest monthly pitch event. We have over Incredible. 600 people at every event, including 200 investors, accredited angel investors and high net worth investors from around the world. So we've had presenters from Singapore, Israel, Norway, Finland, UK, Mexico, Canada, um, wow. Australia, New Zealand, China, yeah, we've had presenters and investors from all over the world. And uh, we have, we do these monthly, we have about a dozen presenting companies and um, yeah, and they, they host the breakout rooms and a lot of these companies are getting funded and they're doing some really groundbreaking things. Yeah, it's very exciting. I was at the, probably one of the last events prior to COVID. Do you remember? I forgot what- The last one we did in, in December. In DC, oh, and it yeah. was- it was the, I think the Beyond Meat CEO, right? Yes, that was it. That was one of our last ones before COVID. That was in November of 19. We had Seth Goldman, chairman of yep. uh, Beyond Meat, founder of Honest Tea. I Honest have a tea, right yep. here, Honest Tea. There you go. Seth, Seth literally lives about five blocks away. He's a good friend and a neighbor. Anyway, he um, uh, he was wonderful. We did it at George Washington University. Yeah, and you yep. were there, yeah. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, it, was, it was so cool to hear his story. I loved it. And again, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the great information that I get is, is hearing about how people get through those challenging times, right? Cause, cause we all go through them, right? As entrepreneurs, we all have them. So I get inspired when I hear, you know, kind of when people fall down, but how they get themselves back up. Cause I think that's, you know, truly inspiring for me. Cause I've I mean, been down. The story was amazing. He had a yeah. hundred investors. He told me he used to drive in his jalopy to pick up $5,000 checks from the other part of town. And he was so <laughs> desperate to make payroll. He had to do that. And he was brewing tea in his basement and uh, all kinds of great stories. And, um, but look at him now, he was, the company was bought by Coca-Cola. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he put organic on the map. And not only that, here's the thing that he did that was world changing. You know, uh, when he started Honest Tea, if you look at Nestle, Nest Tea and Lipton, the sugar content of the drinks was, was X. Uh -huh. He comes out with lower sugar, organic product, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to, you know, 15 years later, the sugar content on these uh, Lipton's and Nestle's is much, much lower. And it's because Honest Tea kind of made the market for, you know, we're, this is a show about health, right? So yeah. it made made things healthier and it changed, changed the mindset, you know, yep. of, of consumers. That's awesome. That's I love that's it. That's great. He started out brewing tea in his basement. I love. I, know, right? I mean, that's just crazy. That's I just feel like we've all been there, right? Like we've yeah. all been in that moment where we're just like starting from, we're just gritty and scrappy and just do whatever you need to do to make it work, to make it happen. When you have that vision, you just go after it. So it was just an awesome story. Yeah. So how, how do you get invited to this? Is this open to entrepreneurs across America? Yeah. Or? Yeah. You're, you're, uh, it's free. The online is free, and when we go back to uh, live events, we do charge tickets, but they're, the live events are in the D.C. region. We are going to expand to Atlanta, New Jersey, and Boston in the next 12 months after we start again with live events. 
And then we have a rollout plan to go to Kansas City, Denver, and LA after that. So, oh, Kansas City, Brad, that's not too far from you, right? Hey, I'll come to DC and get it. We're happy to come come to DC, man. We just need a local partner. So maybe we'll do one in Tulsa, Brad, you know? Do. You know, we have. I love that. I love that. Yeah, we have quite a bit of entrepreneur. Uh, ships going on here in Tulsa. Yeah, you guys have a very good energy tech uh, industry. In energy and right? aerospace, a lot of aerospace technology here in Tulsa. Uh, a lot of engineering firms, you know, Tesla looked at coming to Tulsa it's between uh, Austin and, and Tulsa. We're very aggressive about uh, about new business like that and trying we to- We have end- a great labor pool, educated, yep. low taxes, very government light, you know, uh, yeah. Cost of living. light environment, which is nice. Cost of living here is just better good than weather. Just anywhere in America. Great weather. Great people. I've been to Oklahoma City. I love it there. It's really, people are nice. Yeah. yeah. It is a good place. So, Tian, so, what's the... I like watching the hawk making lazy circles in the sky, by the way. <laughs> no, we have them. Uh, my backyard is, uh, is a lake out, out west of Tulsa, and it's uh, one of the top bald eagle sites in America. Oh, and wow. They actually have cameras on a bunch of the nests and trackers. So you can go to a website and and look at the nest and then track them where they're flying throughout the day. Very cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, uh, awesome. it's a great place. It's very diverse, um, totally different from DC kind of area. So Tian, I wanna hear the craziest ass story as it relates to a pitch. Like what was the craziest pitch that you heard that was like completely memorable and you're like, man, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard or this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We'll take either. Well, there's so many, but um, that's a good one. Let me see. Um, An idea that we thought was, that was a bad idea or Uh You had to put me on the spot, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I'll give you a hint, Tian. You were telling us about a company pitch just before we got back into the set. So do you remember? Well, that that was was a that was a crazy idea that I think is amazing. Yes, share that. Share that one. Sure, there's a company in Boston called Cognoptics, and they have a technology that detects the key biomarker for Alzheimer's decades before symptoms show up which is unheard of because Alzheimer's affects 8 million families around the country, 8 million people, and therefore all their family members. And they're estimating a total treat cost of about a trillion dollars within a generation and a half to treat this. And mental illness, you know, we talked about living longer. Well, our bodies are going to live longer, but our brains need to also. So Alzheimer's, fixing Alzheimer's disease is critical. Yeah. Um, to ensure high quality of life, right? So if the body lives to a hundred, but the mind, you know, if you lose your mind before that, what good is it, right? So this company is amazing. It's Cognoptics. I would check them out. They are, uh, they're on, they're, they could be a unicorn type company. Wow, that's so company. cool. Yeah. And so they do it through genetic testing? Is that, is that how they do it? No, they actually have a, a technology and a device that actually they, they look in your eye. And hmm. the eye has, um, there's a protein or some kind of biomarker that they can detect in the eye. And, um, it, they have like 41 patents, so they're, they're pretty far along. Wow. Outstanding. But that's uh, super cool. Yeah, we've had we had a company. Uh, we've had companies that could, um, you know, make a dent in sleep apnea. You know, we've had, uh, of course, we've had the fun ones too. Um, a lot of cannabis startups. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we've had, uh, 
Are you are you a chief testing officer for them? No, no, I don't do that. <laughs> but uh, um, I serve on a state commission, uh, so I, I just don't want to, you know, have that kind of. Yeah. Not yet. Maybe. Maybe when I retire. Who knows? There you go. There you go. I like it. But. Um, yeah, so I mean, we've had a variety of companies. I mean, we have companies in the cybersecurity, in telecom, consumer products. Uh, we've had companies grow to mid nine figures too. Like wow. Canvas, is a, Canvas presented ten years ago. They were desperate for money. They raised. Um, they probably raised a half a million bucks at Connectpreneur. They wound up selling the majority of the company for 150 million last year. That's awesome. We've done very well. Many of our presenters have raised. Um, 20, 30, 40 million um, over time. Of course, many have gone under too. So sure. it happens. Yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, you know, but uh, we want to give these guys a platform and a forum for um, exposing their ideas to potential investors who um, who could put them, you know, if they invest, then they get the fuel to uh, to take the journey. Super cool, man. I, I love it. And again, just kudos to you for just being a visionary and giving back the way that you have. It's remarkable. Um, all right, Casey, we're gonna get we're gonna get to some personal questions. Let's talk about your family. So you have kids, yes? Three. So I have we're empty nesters. Our youngest is in college, and we have two that are one is working in Boston and the other one's working in New York City. Wow, that's awesome. How how have they done through the pandemic? Well, I think it's tough for young kids, you know, um, they don't have this sort of life experience to put up with this kind of thing. You know, we are a little more resilient because we've been through more, but I think they're doing the best they can and um, trying to stay positive. You know, luckily they, they're relatively healthy kids, uh, very healthy mentally and physically, and um, they're good kids. It, you know, they don't, they're not unrealistic. And I think that, uh, but it's, it's got its toll on everybody, you know? Sure. Sure. It's been a pretty rough time. Yeah. What's been the hardest thing for you, Tian? Uh, I've had some personal stuff in our, in my family. I, I, I've lost two sisters-in-law in the last nine months to cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. Um, and so we've had some family family health issues. Not you know even some COVID related. I, I uh, had a family member who had COVID pneumonia recently. And wow. Was in the hospital, and my wife lost an aunt to COVID. So. You know, we've had a lot of that kind of stuff, which is, sure. that gets to you after a while. It's like you're getting body blows, you know, you're getting slugged at. And, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's tough, you know, it's because you're not really prepared for all this. Yeah. And it's not like you can just, I, I did go to uh, several funerals, but, you know, you, you can't really, it's not like you can, you know, you're constrained too, right? So in what you can do. So, um, you know, I think that that's, that's sort of been, that's really been the big negative. You know, I had my kids home for three months, which was incredible. You know, mm -hmm. the first three months of the pandemic, they were here, they couldn't go out. So they had to put up with us. You know, we had, we ate meals together. We watched Netflix together. You know, we saw Queens Gambit. We saw Ozark. Some great that's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome though. That's great. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, it's a silver lining in the cloud. I mean, it was yeah. awful with all the people being sick and dying. And I knew some people, friends from grade school passed away, unfortunately, uh, wow. very early on in the pandemic when New Jersey was hit hard, no one knew what was going on. They didn't know how to treat it. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Do, you feel, do you feel like it's getting better from your perspective? Um, I mean, until my brother-in-law got sick. Yeah. I, mean, I thought it was fine, but I mean, not fine, but under control with the vaccine is good. I've had my first shot, which is good. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I'm looking forward. I'm not, I know you guys are as well to just this whole thing go being put behind us, but with all these, you know, variants that are coming out and, you know, I'll tell you one thing, you know, like on TV, you don't really know what to believe. Yeah, you know, totally. What's true. Who can you count on? Who can you rely on? I mean, it's, I tell my kids to like get multiple viewpoints because don't, don't ever get married to one viewpoint because yeah. you could be in trouble. You have to sort of like have your own viewpoint, but you take different pieces of it and try to create your own reality out of it. But you know, who knows what's going on? You know, I, I think, I think that's such a good statement, Tian. And I, I agree with you. Like the, the things that you hear on television or see in the news or even the data that's reported, like what's the source, how are they collecting the data? How are they translating that information? Is it correct? Um, I, a lot of times the news talks in terms of percentages, we had an X percentage increase of cases or X percentage of in increase right. in deaths. Well, what would you have one death going to two deaths? You had a hundred percent increase. So it's like, I'm very wary. I'm listening so much closer to the news now because yeah. I, I have to, I have to scrutinize what I'm hearing because I'm not sure that I believe it. You have to. Plants. Yeah. You have to, I mean, for example, I know why they said don't wear masks and masks are dangerous because they had to preserve the masks for the, um, for the healthcare, healthcare workers, workers. I get that but i didn't believe for one second when they said it why because i've been to china 27 times in the last x years and in china you see people wearing masks all the time because after sars and after h1n1 people at the airports people on the streets there's a lot of pollution so if that many millions of people in japan china korea and elsewhere are wearing masks i don't know and they know more than we do because the the friggin disease originates over there you know, how could how could we possibly believe that masks don't work? I mean, common right. sense, right? So, so yeah. that like that one was easy for me to figure out. Like, well, they can say that, but I'm watching I'm watching over there, and they're doing it. And you, know, <laughs> you put two right. and two together, you know. Yeah. Are your business contacts starting to come alive? Are you hearing them talk about oh, yeah. business opening up? Yeah. And yes. To, to your question, Brad. Oh, great question. I think business hasn't been this good in a while like we what are we march 22nd so the first three weeks of march we had more revenue this month than in the last two years of any month in the last two years so i will say that re revenue and business and opportunities are coming back um we are some of the companies we're looking to acquire um starting at the fall maybe october things started heating up and capital starting to flow and um, there's a lot of money sitting out there on the sidelines and they have to put the money to work. These investors, if they don't right. invest money, they can't make money. And um, and the bottom line is that you're seeing much more active M&A market, funding markets. And uh, yeah, I think from our standpoint and helping companies raise capital, um, business is as good as it's been in the last, you know, two years prior. So I think we're getting back to normal. I do. Yeah. I hope we are. Knock on wood. Yeah, I think there's this pinned up effect, you know, people just, hey, they need to do something. You're right. Capital has been sitting in accounts and movement has been, I, I'm now getting, uh, today alone, I've had three contacts for M&A kind of things. And, and so healthcare really must be getting hot. Uh, companies wanting to expand, especially in healthcare technology. Yeah. I mean, I think of all the sectors, healthcare is probably the biggest sector right now for the world that I sit in, which is, you know, sort of the private equity venture capital world. Um, I mean, cybersecurity is big, AI is big, but I think healthcare is even bigger. If you look at a percentage chunk of the GDP, healthcare is could be the, the largest chunk. And and it's also one of the most inefficient. 
So the things that you guys are doing, right? You're bringing technology to the table to cut costs and improve efficiency. Um, those are the things where I think the smart investors are going to wind up making bets and making money. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. You know? Yeah. Cool. Well, Jay, it's it's I'm, it's that time again. It's, Man, it just it's, flies. It flies. It goes too fast. Three. It happens really, really quick. And uh, but uh, TN, we appreciate you spending time um, as big of a guy as you are. Uh, we really appreciate you taking out this hour. And, and oh, I'm honored to be. No, th thank you guys for um, for uh, inviting me and just uh, see one of my favorite people. Dr. J, one of my favorite people in the world. And uh, even with that long poodle hair that he's got, <laughs> I love his hair. I mean, I you don't have any hair. grudge against him. I, I mean, tell you right now, um, you know, it's beach season and you got, you've seen his biceps with that hair and those biceps. Watch out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you crack me up, bro. Well, listen, I look forward to uh, coming to D.C., meeting you in person. Yeah, let's yeah. It. yeah we'll, go get some, and, uh, we'll, go grab, uh, we'll go grab some cocktails or we'll have some nice Chinese food, uh, my treat. Um, well, love it. Know, I appreciate we'll have some fun. I look forward to and, and I think we would have a great evening of just talking uh, growth and business and technology and, and connecting in those aspects. Jay and I love talking about that and and you just look like you would and sound like you'd be a great addition to that conversation well, i would love to i would love to and i really enjoy the time i spend with jay's tech team too because those yes kids, those kids are very bright and uh they're gonna help you guys do some great things yeah. thanks dan i always appreciate the time you spend with us yeah it's awesome yeah. thanks for your guidance yeah, yeah. well my pleasure. you guys be safe out there um hope your families are well and uh thanks for having me same to you, brother. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Of course. Well, Jay, we're gonna we're gonna spend appreciate some, you, man. We're gonna spend some time together. Uh, yeah. Another lecture series coming up, and yeah. uh, so uh, uh, I look forward to spending some personal time with you. I look yeah, forward man. to that. Stay safe, travel, uh, travel well, and again, tech talk for Doctor Jay Greenstein. I'm Brad Cost. Have a good day. I love the soundtrack, by the way. Come on! And the Data Doc of Talk is Tech Talk.